0: I struggle with the way I look. It's complicated. I remember looking in the mirror and not understanding why people were laughing at me. Because I thought I looked good. I thought I looked okay. But because people were laughing at me, I couldn't work it out. And I think that kind of... um, preoccupation this negative preoccupation that i've experienced quite a lot has really um in a way made it very hard for me to to really see myself mm-hmm. the first time i realized that i was black was when i was watching television and there was this black woman on the television, and I remember laughing at her and making fun of her. And an older girl who was also black like me came to me and said, And who do you think you are? Um, that was the first time I realised that I was like the woman on the television. Um, I didn't understand fully what that meant really. I just knew that the woman on the television and myself and Geraldine, the older girl, we, in some way, we we were the same. And it didn't feel good. Experiences when I was a child of uh, having adults make fun of me or children make fun of me calling me nigger, um, gollywog, black tower baby and it has happened in every, every town that I've gone into in Ireland I've experienced this type of name calling so it's actually something that I've learned that I've lived with All of my life, this type of attention, negative attention. The kind of names that I was called were the same kind of names that were uh, used to insult people who looked like me, and only people who looked like me. So I knew that certain words were to do with the color of my skin. If, if you were insulted uh because of the way you look if your differences and you I was reminded in many ways that I was different but that my difference was unacceptable and that meant that people laughed at you and made fun of you of course you're going to start feeling um that you look ugly you're going to you 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 want to hide you don't want to You don't want to be seen outside in case somebody else made fun of you. So, as a child, I used to look in the mirror and wonder why. I couldn't understand why they were laughing at me because I knew I looked okay. I always knew I looked okay, but some part of me um, felt that I must be ugly, though I felt I looked okay. I must be ugly if people are making fun of you. And if people who, it weren't just children, it was adults, it was men, it was women. But it wasn't that they just made fun of you. They also looked at you with such a hostile look. The kind of looks that I, I experienced as a child were looks of hatred as well. So it wasn't just people mocking you. people were Adults were actually looking at you with such hostility that it can only be described as hate. Um, and I would just close in and withdraw and hide. I wouldn't go outside and play. Um, I, was, I was just... On, it just felt unsafe. I felt that, the, that being black, being brown meant that i wasn't like white children um and i felt that because of the way i was treated i didn't it's not that i felt excluded i just didn't feel wanted it wasn't so much that i didn't feel i was irish i just felt that i was different i felt that um i didn't want to be this different because being this different meant experiencing incredible pain quite a lot of the time that's what i was with to be Irish, that meant nothing to me in a sense. I didn't understand that, you know. I didn't feel Irish, but I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that I I was different because people kept reminding me that I was different. For it? Yes. I went to Clifton when I was 11 months old. I was sent there by the courts I think in Dublin my mother I'm told by the document that I have uh, and on the document it says that my mother financially couldn't support me or my sister Carol and my grandfather kicked both my mother and myself and Carol out of his house so she had nowhere to look after us so she kept Carol, and she sent me to Clifton. Uh, I was there for 16, 15 years. Um, there were about seventy-five of us there in the in the school. It was called St Joseph's School. It was a, an in, um, an industrial school, and it was there for. To give us some type of training to prepare us for the outer world. Um, the last time I came up here was, let's say, Chi, a couple of years ago. This is a kind of a little hut-type stone. There's a hole, and I used to pretend that that was my home. It's just, you can only fit about two people in there. And uh, I remember sticking my head up one day and being caught by the head nuns. She just saw me, and I thought I knew I was doomed. Um, That was quite frightening. But I loved that little hidey place. It was a place where you could hide and not be seen. That's the laundry, where I used to go and do the laundry. The nuns as well. There was a woman called Mary Early. She lived here all her life, from the time that she was a child till she was, I think, 85. Um, She worked all of those years doing the laundry for the nuns. Sewing and ironing, the whole lot. She worked so hard. That's my bedroom up there. That's the dormitory that I... Well, we, I would have been in that dormitory first, that first one, when I was young, and then I was moved into this one when you got older. That's my window bedroom up there. Oh, it's cold. The lights are on in there. OK, well, let's not. You never know. Does this make you nervous? Well, that makes me nervous over there, looking at the convent, because um, I'm always aware that they could be looking out watching, you know? Uh, it's not... Um, this this area here wouldn't have been the most comfortable area to be in because you could always be spotted. <laughs> um, and it's just... me try... Can I get in? Can I get in? Over here. So there might be um somebody in charge here. Hello. How you doing? No My job. name is uh, Sharon Murphy. Can oh. I? Is there is there somebody that I can speak with? I'm from RTE. Oh, yeah, I was wondering, Shan grew up here and I was hoping she could just show me around. Would that be possible, do you know? Yeah, well, I'm here, so... i okay. out. It uh, is. It was run by the Mercies, the Mercy nuns. There were two nuns in charge and then there were about six, maybe five or six staff, um, lay people from the community that would come up um, and look after us, like... Cook food and help us along the way, I suppose. Clean the place. And we'd uh, have to study here for a few hours. This is also the dining room as well, the dining room area. Where we used to eat, yeah. Oh, I have to say, it's a bit not very nice being in in the building. It's not a nice feeling at all. Do you want to leave? No, no, I'm just... hmm. Hello, how are you doing? Can I just come in here? Yeah. Okay, thanks. This this is the place where they had sweets. They'd have those sweets locked in. And there'd be times when uh, they might leave the lock off by mistake. And I used to do the butter. My job was to bring in the butter and roll it and put it back into the fridge. So if anybody would notice, it would be me. And I'd never say anything. And they'd, be, they'd have bags of, boxes of crisps there. And I would i would take as many as I could. <laughs> I'd put them into my knicker so that they wouldn't be seen, yeah? Okay? And then I'd have to walk very slowly, because just down there, two doors down, would be the nun's office. And if she even heard me, she my fear was that she'd say, what are you doing? And therefore she'd hear the crisps rattle. Yeah. So I used to, once I passed the office, then I was, as far as I was concerned, I was free home. I ran upstairs and I just piled them into me. It was a nice feeling. <laughs> this is where the cooking took place. When I was very young it was we were quite hungry there was very very little food I'm told since that there was money but it was directed in other places like maybe too much money was used for nappies or something in any case we were quite hungry and uh, then this nun was asked to leave and another nun came along we thought things would would be better And food got better, but um, the beatings didn't actually stop. They continued. You got bet for not being able to eat your food, not being able to spell, not being able to read. And you got tested quite a lot, so it was a regular thing. You got bet if you wet the bed. You got bet for anything that they disapproved of, um, whether you... Whether you... um, were able to succeed in what it is that they wanted you to succeed in it, it was really w- irrelevant you just got bet if you didn't live up to their expectations and the kind of beatings that you that we got would would be they had this hambrush and it's a wooden it's a wooden stick that's what it is and they used to just they used to just belt us with this they used to come down so heavy um you have to understand that these are these were Adults beating, like six and seven-year-old children. Our hands had to stand out, We had to put our hands out. And if we put our hands, if we tried to protect ourselves by putting, bringing our hands back in, that meant that you got more beating. So you you literally learned to stand as a child and just keep your hands out and just try and not cry, because you knew that if you cried, you got more beatings. And that may have been only because I couldn't have spelt the word colour or I wasn't able to eat that day. That's why you got bet. I got bet for um, not knowing the mysteries of the rosary the day that the mysteries fell on. If I couldn't spell, they'd... Uh, the head nun would go into the office and bring out a handbrush, a wooden handbrush and she'd give you three on each hand and they were really, really bad and you'd just roar out crying, you couldn't help it And Mary Ford doing really well there. <laughs> What's the second verse? Oh god. I was just See, these rooms had different different lives, you know. There was times when it, this room would be used for babies. This was our bathroom here. Like yeah I don't know for I don't know why, but um I always kind of, I liked this room here, maybe it was because it, you could see outside outside these windows and just see everything kind of around you you know you had a chance of maybe if somebody was coming in or something you'd see them first before they saw you. A, a, this room here is a client. These were. This was the room for babies. So I would have been put in here when I was 11 months old. This would have been the room I would have been kept in. Um, and I have a one memory where I'm sitting up on the on the the pram, and there's this woman called Teresa, and she used to look after me, and she liked me. But I remember Teresa was... I could just remember Teresa fighting or have with another woman. I don't know how old I was. And all of a sudden, this older woman came and clouded me across the face. Because that's what you do if you're... You know, you take it out on somebody. That If you're angry with somebody, the chances are you'll also hurt them if you hurt someone they like, you know? And I think that's... Looking back, I think that's what... That's why she hit me. The children watch now I know what's going through I had some friends in the orphanage and we just did things together, you know, we played soccer. We ran around and we just fought and played together. We were just friends. Um, I think it's kind of hard in one way. I think we were close in the sense that we felt that it was a, a them and us. But we didn't learn to be close because we didn't experience adults being close. Um, we fought, we were friends, we had friends, like I had a couple of friends, close friends. Um, There was no encouragement to have a a family experience or have a family type of environment, really. um, That was up to us to make the best of the situation that we found ourselves in, you know. When we got older, they partitioned off, the, made them into kind of rooms so that, it was a a dormitory when I was here, when I was a child, and then they just partitioned them off and turned them into bedrooms. And this one was mine. Do you know, not a lot has changed really, has it? When you think of it, like, yeah. when i was uh when it was a dormitory i was sleeping over on that side and uh we used to one of the nuns used to as a joke used to to put up the put on the alarm to wake us up in the morning the fire alarm was our wake up call so it, it's kind of odd really um, I keep waiting for them to come in with with their keys in their hands i just it 's just a feeling of dread and i and I know I can look after myself i 'm an adult, but I still feel that sense of not really wanting to meet them, feeling really uncomfortable that they might might walk in on us you know um that 's how i 'm feeling so i 'm kind of looking forward to getting out of the building you know. I was six when I went to Westport and I'd go to Westport and spend holidays there summer holidays and Christmas holidays, Easter holidays um, and that was that was an amazing experience in that it was so different to what I experienced in the orphanage when I was in the foster family I remember breaking a cup once and I remember my foster mother just coming over to clean it up and said, don't hurt yourself. Um, if I ever broke a cup in the orphanage, it meant that I got bet. So there were differences. And I remember th- th- watching my foster mother pick up the glass and realizing and, and, and couldn't understand why she was okay about that. I expected that she would get very angry, and she didn't. She was concerned about me, and that was an amazing experience. There was Christmas, and I remember they talked about Santa Claus, and that made not a lot of sense to me. And I remember running down the stairs and everybody... There was, like, five younger kids, and we all ran in and... There was this chair with with my name on the chair, and there were sweets and books and jumpers and stuff all on the chair and and I looked around and everybody else had chairs with goodies on their chairs and and I was so amazed that all of this stuff was f- for me, and that it was Santa Claus that gave it to me, but the most amazing thing was that Santi knew my name because my name was on the chair and I I was so amazed that the Santa Claus could know my name. feelings were just... I had such an amazing experience, just... just having such abundance. Uh, I got a red jumper, and I got jeans, and I got socks, and I got bunty. I just remember everything. It was just amazing. I'd never had Santa before, before that time. That was my first experience of what Santa was about. RTE came into this room, and they filmed children that were in bed here. This is the room that they filmed in. Um, What's this room? Actually, it's interesting, because uh, I was asked to leave the bed so somebody else could get into my bed, so that RTE could film in here. And I, I was very envious, because one of the kids got my bed, and then... When it was all over, I was I had to go back into the bed again, which I thought was very unfair. <laughs> How old would you have been at the time? Uh, about seven, maybe. Seven. But it was very, it was lovely. It was really good fun having RTE here because they had cameras and they had, it was just men in the house as well, which was unusual, you know, to have males. Uh the only male I would have would have been somebody I would have known in Westport, so here it was kind of unusual. And why do you think they wanted you out of your bed for this event? I don't know. I think probably because... I don't know, I always thought maybe because the other child looked nicer than me. I, 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 I didn't know why. That's what I assumed. That was my. I felt that I didn't want to stay in the orphanage I felt that um, no matter how hard I felt I was trying to be good to be successful it never stopped the beatings never I never I I didn't always know um, why I was getting bet. and if you weren't getting better You were witnessing beatings quite a lot. So I lived in an environment pretty much that was based around fear and control. And living in that experience, for me, I feel really has affected me till this day. I think what I felt was, I felt that I wanted to have a family, that I wanted to leave the orphanage. I wanted the beatings to stop and I used to just fantasise all the time. I would fantasise that I was leaving and that other people would be coming, like my mother or people that I had fallen in love with over the years that would that would just come up and just take me away. I don't know if, if, if I felt lonely. I, I know that I felt unsafe and I didn't like where I was living quite a lot of the time. I remember feeling that the safest place at times were going to bed where I would just pull the covers over my head and just feel at least they won't touch me here in the bed. This was a place where you could sleep and you were expected to be in that bed and therefore I felt I used to feel that a little bit safer. Sometimes we had visitors come and stay and they come and spend some time with us. And i go into a fantasy, them coming to, to to take me out, you know, take me away. If that's lonely, that's that's all I know. If that's what lonely is. Sometimes mothers and fathers would come back and take their children back. And that used to, I used to just envy that so much. I used to wish that my family would come back and take me out. And when you saw families coming back to take the kids back out, it just kind of made you feel, well, I felt that I I wasn't loved, you know? I think that kind of reinforced that message, is that I wasn't really cared for, that mothers and fathers who came back for their children must really like them and take them home again because they cared. So why didn't mine? That, I suppose, yeah. I don't know if I understood what was happening to me. I just didn't like it. It was so unnecessary, really, what they did. Does it seem much smaller to you now than it yeah. did when we were small? that's what I noticed. It's tiny. It's like... It, was, it felt so huge when we were little, you know. And it was, too, you know, because when you're small. Did you feel safe here, Shelley? Safe? No, I didn't feel safe here. I felt safe in my bedroom, in my bed, when I used to go to bed. Um, I felt it was the one time that maybe they didn't pick on you, that they'd leave you alone, you know. So, I used to love going to bed actually. I used to put the clothes around me and. Um, nah, there's a door. I. Okay. Yeah, I want to go. Okay. Okay. I'm just a kid. I walk, I walk through health door, Mama. Why As a child, I was always seen as, uh, people would say, Anne Murphy sing, Anne Murphy sing. So um, I think people saw me as a singer in one way. And in another way, I was seen as copying somebody else because there was an older girl, two years older than me, and she was an amazing singer and a guitar player. I used to envy her. I used to watch her every move, every time. And she used to write songs at a very young age. And, uh, so I was, I used to imitate her and so therefore I was considered a copycat. Um, I remember one time this priest from, uh, he had, he was coming over from the missionaries, coming back home to Clifton for a holiday and he came to visit us and they asked, he asked who would sing and some people said, Anne Murphy will sing. So I started the song and, uh, just as I started the song, I realised that I had started on a very high note. And I knew by the middle of the song I wasn't going to make it. So I started to sing anyway and it was really, really high. And I had to stop in the middle of the song and I could feel so... I could feel the embarrassment and this. oh, I just wanted to die. And I remember this priest looking at me with... he had dark brown eyes... And he looked at me and he says, "Oh, that is just so lovely. Thank you so much." And I just went mad in love with him. It was just so lovely just to get him look at me and talk to me. It was worth it. I I was very shy. I, I didn't sing in public very much because I, I I really wasn't all that encouraged in one way to to sing. My voice developed at the age of twenty three, I think um i was ju- i had joined a band and there were two other female voices who were doing they were doing harmony to what i was doing and i remember just singing along with them and one day my voice started to just really become very powerful it was quite i don't know it was an amazing experience because i hadn't i hadn't felt that i had that kind of power in my voice at all. I had, up to then, felt very restricted. I didn't feel confident. Um, And then I, once my voice took off, I never turned back, really. I feel that there's an amazing amount of power, volume in me. um, And I just felt that it, it just happened in its own way. I understand why it's taken. What was forbidden to feel Remained hidden in me Who was there to hold us Who could trust It's by no coincidence We've been lost Abandonment Um I don't know I don't know. I didn't even know that I had any affection for my mother Uh, until recent, until I'd say seven years ago, I wrote a song called Mama. I had actually originally planned to write the song about the orphanage and to just express what was going on, what happened to me. And that was my first time of really looking back and trying to make sense of what happened. And um, it was interesting because the song had its own direction. And I went with it. And within ten minutes I had a song written about my mother. And uh, I just broke down and cried. I think for hours. And that was the first time that I realised that I was deeply affected by the loss of not having a mother. I was sure that because I never had her, I didn't need her. But obviously there was some part of me who knew that I, I actually did still long for her. There's times when I feel actually quite across with her, actually, because um I don't know why she left me here in Ireland. Not um I was born in England and a few months After I was born, she came to Ireland, and it just feels like she just left me here. I don't understand that, because as a black child, a black person, I would have probably had a a better chance of creating some type of, certainly some type of protection from racism. If I had stayed in England, or if she left me in England, or sent me away into some orphanage in England... So I'm angry around that, that she just left me here, and as a black child, I've had to I've had to deal with that, and that has been a lot, that has caused a lot of pain for me, unnecessary pain. Maybe I might have experienced as much pain in England. I don't know, but that's what I think. Sometimes I I, I kind of go blank because um, I feel uh, most of my life uh, in 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 Ireland there has been a sort of a denial around racism and when I've tried to talk to people about the damage and what happens to me there's this silence you used to I would for for many times I'd get this silent experience reaction I should say would make me feel that it was not a subject to talk about so now when I do talk about it I'm also I, I get very tense I can get very tense and feel uncomfortable about it because I'm not used to talking about it freely you know I just feel that it's been so in a way it's so taboo in this country it's been um. It's been a topic that hasn't really uh, got much attention. That when you grow up in an environment that where you're not allowed to really talk about what's happening to you, it becomes normal. Even that becomes normal. So you, I suppose in a way my survival was to stay silent. That was what you can call an ally, you know. One of my... My coping mechanisms was to keep quiet about it because if I talked about it I didn't want to see again and again people looking at me saying that I was maybe just looking for attention or that I had a chip on my shoulder. There were all of these sort of defenses put up in front of me to deny me again and again and again what I was experiencing all the time. racism is it's like it's like experiencing unrelenting messages all the time telling you that you're different and that your difference is not accepted it's it's living with that experience daily and living with that rejection daily that is what racism is. I've been pushed and I have been spat on. I've been screamed at and shouted at to get out. People walking across the on the other side of the road, some will feel it's say okay, to scream at me and tell me to get out, you know, and to go back to where I belong. That has that happens quite a bit. <laughs> to get money from the from priests on the street and I'd sometimes go into confessions and I'd get money in there too and I think it was because it was this kind of notion of the black baby thing yeah where priests just gave money to black babies It didn't matter where you were. <laughs> With type of dreadlock hair, curly hair. Is that what you want? I've been asked to describe myself before. Tell me how you look. I have black eyes. I am dark skinned. My hair is quite long. It's like it's curly type dreadlock hair. And I suppose that's it.